Welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. My name is David Breer from 11FS, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Robert Churcher, the Fintech Strategy Lead for PwC Consulting. We're here today talking about PwC's recent financial wellness report. So thanks very much for joining me. Nice to be here, David. Tell me a little bit more about your background and what is it you do at PwC? So as you say, I lead on fintech strategy for our firm here in the UK. So my time is fairly evenly split between meeting fintech companies, both what we call disruptors, people looking to compete in the market, whether that's in payments or challenger banking or insurance, and enablers, companies looking to sell tech into uh, existing financial services companies. So building networks with those companies and then reflecting that back onto our corporate clients and our investment clients, helping them understand changing landscape, what it means for their business, how um, new threats, new opportunities are changing financial services. Sounds like fun. Um, where were you before PwC? What, what's your uh, background? So the background was really around uh, post-merger integration and deal carve-out. So everything where financial services businesses were growing or shrinking, really. And I guess technology was playing a big role in how how deals were being considered and looked at. And that's really what led to fintech. Shrinking and growing. There's a lot of that going on right now, isn't there? Absolutely. Um, so PwC have now released the financial wellness report. What's that? And tell us a little bit more about how you've come about that. So it was an issue that we thought was being ignored and not focused on enough by people looking at some of the challenges within financial services. So people talk a lot about financial inclusion and some of the challenges around getting people access to bank accounts and access to credit products and so on and so forth, but not really looking at the wellness challenge, which we think is a growing problem that is going to come back to bite us if we don't think about it over the long term. So really looking at people's short-term financial health and their long-term financial health. So what do we mean by that? Short term, we mean, do people really understand their total financial position? Do they understand the level of savings they have, the level of debt they have, uh, how they should be managing those products? And long term, are they going to be able to achieve their financial goals? Are they going to be able to buy a house? Are they going to be able to retire when they want to? Are they going to be able to afford their children's university fees and things like that? So it's an issue where we think the market isn't functioning properly at the moment and people are having real challenges that... Uh, although you might not feel the pain day to day, it's building up over the long term. Uh, and that distinction between inclusion and wellness is actually really interesting because just, just being included in something and having something doesn't mean you're using it properly or really understand it, right? Absolutely. I mean, all of our sort of cohort that we surveyed have access to investment products. It's not a problem for them to open an investment account or to open an investment management robo-advice account, but they just don't feel confident doing that to try and save for the long term. They can build that picture of all their products today manually, but that's a lot of effort and takes a lot of thinking, a lot of time where people want simple solutions to help them think about how they manage their money. So that was that was interesting, your, your points around sort of retirement and paying for children's graduations and, you know, students and whatnot. That, that feels like you're sort of reading my mind in terms of the things that I'm thinking about. So what does the future sort of look like then for sort of young professionals right now? How are we going to be uh, dealing with this stuff in the future? So I think if we look at some of the problems today, people obviously have challenges getting onto the housing ladder, but there are a lot of products out there that can help people save for a deposit, right? You know, if you're saving some money every month, you should probably be putting some of that into the financial markets to help grow that that pot of money into a future house deposit. And I think when we look at the way the world of work has changed as well, so the end of the defined benefit pension scheme and the, the rise of the defined contribution pension scheme, and what that means is that there's a lot more personal responsibility and you have to really be managing your own money for your retirement, that unless people really get to grips with 
how the different uh, financial products and services work, then they're not going to be managing these in the long run. So I think technology uh, and education are enabling some of this change, but I think we really need to accelerate it. Otherwise, we're going to leave uh, a generation who, with without the right financial products and services, and there's going to be um, a big problem in the future around retirement and savings goals. So, so I guess education and engagement are you know two major points there aren't they so sort of understanding what the issues are and then wanting to do something about it to a certain degree because i I guess there's a a whole raft of things going on in day-to-day life that sort of almost pushes a lot of these things to the you know the back of mind or you know very low down that priority list of things to to sort of really think about even though the impact of them can be hugely significant over the long time can't they so i guess the education is a is a problem but i guess engagement and how financial services organizations actually break these things down to you know talk to human beings like human beings for starters might be a you know a sensible place to begin right absolutely you hit the nail on the head it's education and engagement so you know if we think about just the two statistics really that that sort of bring some of those short-term and long-term problems less than 40 percent of the cohort that we surveyed so we've surveyed 200 young professionals less than 40 percent had home contents insurance which you know begs the question do they not value what they have in their home or do they think they can afford it if they you know if something happens heaven forbid Feels like uh, or are they just a bit of a gamble about right? absolutely you know it's a big gamble when you think about you know your laptops and your cameras and you know some of the personal possessions and all the rest of it and long term you know two-thirds of our cohort didn't feel confident making investments so looking at that longer term challenge as well so yeah it's a massive problem in the engagement when we think about the insurance sector a lot of under insurance people aren't really understanding the products or 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 necessarily thinking that they hold value for them uh, and not necessarily understanding the true cost of not having of being underinsured uh, and the education piece not feeling confident about making investments so these are these are the areas that really need to be challenged and education is a big one and there's been a lot of unintended consequences of regulation you know when we think about the advice gap that's grown up post the RDR regulation that came in a few years ago and how advice now is generally speaking only purchased by people with a lot of wealth and there's a lot of people in the middle who actually have money that they should be investing but they don't know how to yeah financial times guides you through complex issues in divisive times don't settle for black and white when you need the full perspective turn to ft.com become a subscriber today search for ft subscription critical mass That's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach critical mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs, opening up access to 2,000 of the world's largest financial institutions. Don't just take our word for it. Temenos Marketplace has just won Reader's Choice Best Emerging Innovative Technology Product and Service at the 2016 Banking Technology Awards. Join Temenos now. We make the money go round. So I, I guess what are the inhibitors that organizations are sort of seeing here? You know, you talk about regulatory uh, sort of reform as, as, as one of them and the sort of sensitivities and the nervousness around, you know, all the things that we've seen with regards to mis-selling and uh, inability to sort of evidence customer interaction and what was said and who said what. But I guess there's probably a lot deeper seated stuff in there, isn't there, in terms of what's the benefit to the organizations to be doing this other than just stopping themselves being fined? It's a, it's a big problem. I think what we have to see this as is a big opportunity you know the this cohort of people this um generation of 
um, individuals who are growing up in a very different um, financial environment today. Uh, yes, there are big problems, but there are also big opportunities. So if companies are able to engage and educate this generation of individuals who have a financial wellness challenge today, then they can help off, well, they can offer them products and services, which ultimately will be good for the consumer and make money for the organization. I think when we look at the fintech market, there are a lot of companies offering great services in this space, whether it's around helping people save money with, you know, basic things like foreign exchange and international currency mm-hmm. all the way up to people trying to educate people about what is an ETF and how to invest and how to save for a mortgage or you know how to just savings nudges and challenger banking apps and so on and so forth but we've got to be realistic in that actually very few people use a fintech product today so the fintech market although it's growing and it's having a lot of success and it has great products the vast majority of the population aren't using them so we really do need to in- help and engage with incumbent organizations to understand what their challenges are. And I think the mis-selling points that you raise and the regulatory sort of hangover that they've got from, uh, you know, misbehaviors in the past and an uncertainty about regulation mm-hmm. and the inability to do this cost effectively are big problems. So I think regulation uh, is an area which is being addressed. You know, the FCA has something called the Financial Advice Market Review going on at the moment. Uh, trying to address some of these grey areas and problems. Mm -hmm. Technology is another one. I think looking at open banking and PSD2, they're moving the world in the right direction, but it needs to go further and faster, I think. You know, it needs to cover more products. It needs to cover mortgages, investments, Um, student loans being a great one. You know, you have to call the student loan company today to understand how much you still need to pay back. I mean, how ridiculous is that? In 2017, yeah, absolutely. it's quite worrying. You can't log into an account and just see your balance at the moment. It's it's pretty crazy, really. So not being able to pull all those data sources together effectively um, is a technological barrier at the moment to, to change. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I, I guess, um, to a certain degree, the banks have retreated from wanting to give advice at the same point where digital is sort of democratizing what advice you can get you know actually things like robo advice and all of the you know the technological advancements to bring what would be considered um, private banking or or more um, high wealth experiences to to the masses um, so I, I guess in that sense we're seeing you know regulatory advancements and technological advancements to a certain degree actually democratizing and standardizing a lot of those things which actually inherently de-risks it as well so you know this is the pro and the con isn't it I think if banks continually think about it in the way that they've done it before then it becomes expensive because it's people and it's risky because it's people and and whereas actually, if you sort of leverage all of the, the sort of advancements that we're seeing, then actually you can make it more efficient, you can make it more cost effective, and you can deliver much better experiences. Definitely. I agree with all of those points. I think we have an interesting paradox in the education point, which is that banks are very happy to go into schools to talk to children about budgeting and current accounts and savings products and things like that, but ask them to engage with a, um, a group of adults around advising them on how to invest or get, not, not advising because that's a, an emotive word and a technical word in, in financial services, but just giving them guidance on what good behavior might look like, you know, three months in of rainy day money and things like that. And then, you know, you should be saving some more on top of that and investing, you know, excess money into the markets because you should have exposure to those. Mm. I think that's an interesting paradox, which is difficult to understand. So there is a technology barrier to pulling together all those data sources that we were talking about, but technology is also a huge opportunity. Mm. AI, as you say, is going to enable us to offer 
guidance and advice and critically it's got it's going to be contextual to an individual so it's going to be you know i'm in my 20s and i you know live on my own and i rent and i'm looking to buy a house in 10 years and hopefully my earnings are going to go up over the next few years versus i'm in my 30s i'm married with kids and i want to think about savings products that are tax efficient what ISA should I be using to save my children's education over the long run it's going to have to be contextual and technology is going to enable that and yeah. that's what's going to be cost effective about it, it it's an interesting one isn't it because you get into almost a semantic debate don't you like what is advice what is guidance and actually the the sort of lines that are sort of drawn along those things make people in banks have to act in a certain way because of the regulatory implications of those things. But, you know, I guess the, you know, what would be the things that you think banks really need to do to start to, you know, think much more strategically about this for the benefit of the customer? Guidance and advice are are very emotive, as you say. But I think what we need to recognize as an industry is that, you know, it's an 80-20 rule. 80% of the time, these things will work. It's 20% are going to be difficult and they're not going to be able to fit into sort of normal rules of thumb. But, you know, for 80% of the population, it's going to be pretty straightforward what they should be doing. And, And I just don't think people are aware of what they should be doing today. You know, I don't think people are aware that they should have best practices three to six months of their salary in, in a rainy day fund. And, uh, you know, the rest they should be saving and, you know, you should have regular savings goals to build up. And I just don't think there's enough uh, recognition that some of these problems are actually quite easy to solve. But again, it's 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 kind of incumbent upon the regulator to be engaging with this challenge uh, and helping address it and help the industry to solve the problem. Yeah. I think the other big area that we haven't talked about is what employers should be doing. You know, as we were saying, the world of work has changed a lot. Uh, The onus is now on the individual. It's less paternalistic. You know, without the defined benefit pension scheme these days, it's it's really about how the individual is going to save for their own retirement. They're probably going to have many more jobs over their career as well. But I don't think that's any reason why an employer shouldn't look at, at each of their employees sort of situation and help them think about what they should be doing with the salary that they're paid every month. And actually, I think this is a huge opportunity for employers as well. You know, it could be a great way to drive employee engagement, not in a condescending kind of way but in a look these are the insurance policies we're offering you as part of our benefits package but actually you probably want to make sure you're not underinsured in these other areas as well not in a condescending way but in a we want what's best for you because actually you know if you have a major problem and you get burgled one day and you're massively underinsured ultimately that's going to affect how you perform in your job day to day so there's an opportunity here it is it's a benefit for everybody to sort of participate in that education i guess isn't it definitely definitely so so what what do you think uh i guess you know are are we seeing change you know are are we seeing a a marked change in the way that people are either wanting to engage with these things or how uh, regulators or employers are thinking about that or is this something that we're we're sort of needing to step into now you know is there a, a light at the end of the tunnel or are we still sort of uh, in the middle of this? I think we are seeing change. I think particularly when we look at the the fintech industry, I think there are a lot of companies that are all addressing financial wellness in, in different ways. I think, as we've said before, there's a critical mass challenge, which is that they're just, they're just not affecting enough of the market today. I think when we look at regulation, regulation is moving in the right direction with the financial advice review and with PSD2 and open banking driving interconnectivity between financial services organizations but i think it's got to go further and faster otherwise it's just not going to work i think we need to be engaging on more 
um, products and really thinking about some of the investment challenges. I think there is a massive savings gap, but there's an even bigger sort of investment gap around things. And if we want to help people save up for buying property in the future, then they're going to have to think about new and innovative ways to drive that engagement and to educate people about how they can try to achieve those goals. And there's a bit of a, um, a sort of challenge here for the individuals as well. So a lot of the young professionals that we surveyed, they will have started work and will have been earning a salary post global financial crisis. So they've only known bad economic times and they have the biggest student debt that we've ever seen. They have the biggest housing challenges that we've seen and their pension liability is all on them. So this is a, is a real issue that we need to challenge and to solve. Sounds tough times. It, yeah. they, you know, those guys could do with all the uh, the help they can get, I guess. Um, there was some really, really interesting stats that sort of came out of this. But, you know, what was the most interesting statistic you saw in here? I think the, the underinsurance one was, was worrying for us. I think it was interesting to see that uh, the statistic around uh, knowledge of insurance was very high. You know, three quarters of our cohort said they understood all the insurance products. But as we said, less than 40% had home cover, and yet they're all renting or, or owning and, and so on and so forth. So why are they so un- underinsured in that space? And similarly, I think we were surprised when we think that a lot of these individuals worked in financial services or professional services, that they were so um, unconfident in making investments. So less than a third were confident in making investments. And, and most of them didn't really know how to go about it and didn't really understand the different um, investment products out there. So th- as we said before, there's a big education gap there. It's worrying, isn't it? I think, um, you know, when most people wouldn't understand simple acronyms within financial services, then actually moving to uh, explain things like ETFs to the whole swathes of uh, a group who maybe don't even know what an APR is, is a, is kind of like a real problem, isn't it? So, you know, I think education in all forms from all angles is probably the, um, you know, the biggest helper to, to sort of drive uh, true education in this space. So tell us a little bit more about where people can sort of learn more about the report then, because I, I guess um, there's a, a nice sort of big group of statistics that they can kind of uh, get their teeth on so where can people learn more about the report so it's a rich theme of of data and and information in the report and if you go to pwc.co.uk forward slash fintech you'll find our financial wellness report that we've been discussing and a few of our other insights into fintech in the industry and how it's changing fantastic well really thanks for joining us today thank you very much So that's all we have for you this week. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. It's how we know you like what we're doing. That's it for now. Thanks. Thanks.